Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Stephen Gillespie, and joining us tonight, an incredibly special guest, a man who I haven't done a podcast with since near the end of the previous draft cycle. It's been quite a while, but at the same time, he is a busy, busy person himself. He's got a lot going on. He manages not only his own Box and One, Substack, slash podcast, slash any type of basketball content you would want. He's also a high school coach. Everything going on in his life, yet he decided to take some time to come on and talk to us. Adam Spinella from the Box and One. How you doing, boss? Uh, gentlemen, thank you for having me. Always good to be here. Uh, you guys set the bar incredibly, incredibly high with all the work that you do for the NBA draft out there in so many various spaces. So in order for me to not become draft shallower, I've got to keep up and make sure I'm doing all the uh, all the work that I'm putting in there. So uh, thank you for setting the bar and giving me something to chase this year. It's been great. If anybody does not subscribe to the Box and One, I would highly recommend doing so. At the very least, I mean, at the very least, go follow this man on Twitter. He is always spinning insight every single day into the game of basketball. I, I always learn something when I read his tweets, which is a big reason why I wanted to have him on this podcast last year. I wanted Adam on specifically because I wanted a coach's perspective on some players and it will be double as exciting to bring him on for this particular topic. A big thing Steven and I want to do during the remainder of this draft cycle all the way up to the draft is to have guests on and talk about some of their guys. Now, when I use the phrase, their guys, it's not like Adam is a personal cheerleader for, for any of these prospects necessarily, but Talk about guys from their perspective who they feel are being undervalued, who are being slept on, and kind of bring some light into why they have legitimate cases as draftable prospects for some of the players that we can talk about over the course of this series. But even some guys who are primarily looked at as first rounders, why they should maybe be a little higher than the mid to late first round, why some should be considered lottery or, or top 10 or potentially even higher, depending on the prospect that, that we'll be talking about with certain guests from week to week. So I asked Adam to come up with a list of players who we thought definitely fit that criteria. And we definitely agreed on the first player we're going to talk about tonight because Jaden Hardy has been run through the ringer a, a little bit in, in certain draft circles, especially on social media. I mean, some of the numbers by percentage aren't great. I do have some of the updated season numbers. Um, they actually, the G League 19 just finished their season. So we have a, a full picture to take a look at. He played 24 games, 19.1 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, 3.6 assists, a 38% from the field, 31% from three point range, 80% from the line. You love to see that free throw number, but the, the field goal percentage and the three point percentage, those numbers aren't going to knock your socks off. Right. And that, that could very well be a similar story to a number of players that we're actually going to talk about tonight, but it's about balancing the numbers versus the eye test. And Jane Hardy, coach, I went back. I've gotten a good picture from Jane Hardy at the start of the season. I made sure to watch some games from the middle of the season. And then I actually just got caught up today with the G League Knights' last three games against the Kings and then two against the Warriors. He is he is a different player than what he was at the start of the year. And, and again, you, you've done a great job. This is why I say to follow this man on Twitter. He put up a, an incredible poll the other week that even messaged me. He's like, who, who do you think some of these players are in the poll? And I'll let him talk about the poll specifically. But when, when you go from shooting even lower than those 
whole season percentages that, that we started off with all the way up to some of the numbers that, that he's at now. It, it's the transformation that not only takes place in the box score, but also in the eye test. He's a much more confident player. He's been involved a lot more off the ball in certain actions. He's very comfortable working off handoffs, off screens. He's much more balanced when he's going up for those shots. And then we know every now and then he'll hit you with one of those crazy step backs. It just makes your jaw drop. And I think he had a few of those, particularly in the, in the few games that I watched today. He's coming away as a playmaker. Coach, what are some of the things that you've seen from his development over the course of the year? And, and why do you think that he's been so undervalued during this process? Yeah, so for, for my standpoint with Hardy, it, it really comes back to where I had him valued coming into this entire draft class. Uh, back in August, when I first set the board, you know, take a few weeks to breathe after the last draft class wraps <laughs> up and then start turning our attention to the next one. He stood out as the top guy for me based on his high school tape, based on everything coming into the season. And Part of that is because he has the most tantalizing skill in all of basketball, which is the ability to create his own shot one-on-one -on -one against any type of defender and defense. He can hit step backs. He can drill from far beyond the three-point line. He's comfortable in the pull-up game, and he's kind of slippery enough to get to the rim. Not necessarily explosive, not bouncy, not the fastest guy, but a decent change of pace, slippery through traffic as a decent enough handle. In all areas that he can get better, I think we've seen a lot of proof over the past. Guys do develop in those areas when they get to the NBA, whether it's because they just grow stronger naturally or they work on that particular part of their game. He had a horrible start to the season. Wise <laughs> shooting the ball, like all of it looked pretty bad. And the, the Ignite in that earlier part of the, of the year, I think struggled to figure out who they were going to play through. It yeah. felt a lot like a your turn, my turn type of system where Dyson Daniels is coming in and he's not a great shooter and Jaden Hardy's coming in. He's not knocking down shots and Marjan Beauchamp is not knocking down shots from three and Michael Foster just wants to eat. So it was it was hard to get all of that balanced. I think as the season went along, the Ignite found ways to generate more spacing around Hardy in the pick and roll. Mm -hmm. And that opened up his ability to be patient because, quite frankly, you can't be patient when you don't have space. We saw his playmaking develop as a result of that. He got more confident and better at finishing and getting to the rim. And, yeah, the shot ended up falling as, as things went down. So I've always been high on Hardy. I still have him as a top six guy on my board. I'm not discouraged by the early season troubles. A, because he's gotten reasons you have a high draft pick is to find somebody who can help your franchise on the offensive end in ways that Hardy can. Uh, I, I don't want to preview too much down the road, but I'm working on a big treatise right now is what I'm calling <laughs> my, my modus operandi for, uh, for scouting. And the central theme of that is that it's all about space, the ability to create space, create space for yourself or your teammates and to score when space is limited particularly in, in late clock situations against elite defenders. Hardy has that ability to create space for himself. He's shown that he's gotten better at creating it for others. And he can knock down shots when he doesn't have a lot of space. Those guys are rare. They're coveted. And I think that they're worth top half of the lottery draft consideration. Before Steven asks a few questions, he, he does have a few questions prepared on each player tonight um, to, to add to the discourse. I absolutely love it. Um, my one question for you, coach, it, it's a very simple one. 
And I, I've asked this to a few people and they all kind of agree with me. And I wanted your take on it. Is Hardy's draft stock si- simply a product of makes and misses? Like if a lot of these shots that Hardy had don't just swirl and go in and out and they end up falling and just his numbers look better. Right. And, and everything else on the tape pretty much still stands. Do you really think his draft stock would have taken this big of a hit by public consensus? Cause I, I, I don't believe so. I really think that that's honestly what it comes down to for a lot of people, which is it's a very shallow level of evaluation, but at the same time, I just don't think people would be having the same conversations. Yeah, we agree on that. Uh, it's it, like it's shallow, but it's not right. Like at the end of the day, it's a result dr- results driven business. Sure, you got to be able to make shots. Uh, that doesn't mean that over a 25, 26 game sample size, what we've seen out of him is indicative of how he's going to shoot at the next level. The, the best comparison for what I've seen in my time as a draft scout is Anthony Edwards. In that regard, like he did not shoot the ball really efficiently from three. He took a high volume. And because of that, you know he's confident in his shot. You know that you're going to be able to judge the mechanics enough by seeing that many attempts. And then you can feel comfortable about projecting it to the next level. Like he is, I think, right now, either tops or second in, on the Timberwolves in catch and shoot three point percentage this year. You know, like guys who have that ability figure it out consistently. And yeah. Hardy has the ability, he's going to figure it out consistently. Steven, right. the, the floor is yours, brother. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, coach, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, just got a couple questions here for you. Um, I'm glad that you touched on the, uh, the the spacing and how that improved. With the the jump in talent that Hardy went through, right, um, coming straight from high school, going against grown men who have to feed families, things like that, do you think that it's kind of – it's it's a different evaluation, right, than comparing collegiate prospects and international prospects to a, still a fairly new venture for players to come in and, and commit to the G League, especially with the success and how we're seeing some of these other guys from the last group come in and, and find some success in the NBA now. How do you think that we need to temper our evaluation process when we see guys as they initially make that uh, first G League appearance and then grow into what we're seeing with Hardy now, right? Like he's getting more comfortable and his efficiency has grown throughout the season. How do you think that we need to, as evaluators, you know, um, truly look at that? Well, development is never linear, right? There are ledges and there are things that people jump up into. And that's not just basketball. That's anything in life. I call those light bulb moments, right? I also teach U.S. history. Some guys get it right away. Others, it takes like a week, two weeks into doing the content and they have that light bulb moment and they figure it out. Hardy might have been a little bit slower to get there to start the season, but he has so many higher ledges to get to. And I think what we discount is we take a look at where he started and think that, okay, he's gotten better. How much left is there really to get to? How many other ledges is he going to be able to climb up? He's got a lot of room ahead of him. And and the best case that's in his favor right now is seeing how Jalen Green has made another jump here in his rookie yes. season, right? Like the the work that Jalen has done to move up a level, struggle and then figure it out and get more comfortable should be enough proof to to show you guys that you know Hardy, yeah, he struggled initially out of the gate with the G League Ignite. He got better. That's going to happen again. He's going to yeah. get to the NBA and he's going to more quickly figure it out 
and a lot of guys who came in from college. I think that's where the benefit of the G League Ignite comes in, is you've already gone through that process once. You're much more familiar with knowing how to adapt to a physical game at a higher level. That makes a lot of sense. And, and Coach, the last question that I have for you regarding Hardy is that a lot of folks, and, and myself included to be fair, although I still remain pretty high on Hardy, I believe I have him still in my top 10, roughly around uh, number nine right now. I don't think that he's going to be looked at as kind of like a plus defender, right? He's undersized for the two. Uh, I don't know if if he, ever he'll be reliable as, as a you know creator for others uh, for a full term, right? With that being said, not being a plus defender, what areas of the floor do you think that you feel confident in him contributing to at the next level to kind of help compensate for that maybe lack of defensive ability? Yeah, I mean, he's he's got to score it, right? Like, that's that's how he makes up for a lot of that stuff. There are plenty of microwave scorers, guys who've either been keys on a second unit or just guys who come in and score 18 a game, 20 a game, and that's what they're out there for. And, and they're successful, and they carve out long careers. And, and yes, those guys do contribute to winning. One of my pet peeves <laughs> is thinking that it doesn't. You need to score in order to win games. You need guys that need Jordan see, Clarkson. See Cam Thomas's evaluation last year, too. Yeah, like, and, and it's 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 a, a cop-out of an excuse for a lot of these guys because we think that you got to be well-rounded and you got to do everything really well in order to win. You can make a lot of money and win a lot of games by having one signature skill. Do I think the defense is a worry? Yeah, I do. Uh, he plays a little bit too upright. He's skinny. He's not physical enough, not great with angles, not engaged off-ball. There's a lot of things to clean mm -hmm. up on that end, but he's got a signature skill. And that in itself is going to be a good enough and important enough signature skill that he can create a, a career like that. I'm not big on comparisons, but a baseline for him would be like a Jamal Crawford type of career. Fair enough. Appreciate it, Coach. I, I, I was going to hit you with, with one last name before we move on, actually. I'm not – I like using more of like shades of, but – if you watch enough basketball, I don't think this comp is necessarily revolutionary. But the name Buddy Hill has obviously been thrown around with Jane Hardy, right? Now, I like Jane Hardy. I think he can be better because if Buddy Hill attacks closeout and he gets downhill and he's looking to finish at the basket, I'm not as scared of Buddy Hill going up and trying to do that. Jane Hardy is a big body guard in his own right, but he has already shown in the G League he is very comfortable with going into the body of somebody else and finishing through that contact. Like I actually think between the footwork as well as some of the, the, the physical traits that he has, the strength, I think he, he can actually be a pretty dangerous finisher. And with that, I would ask you, if I throw the name Buddy Heald at you, would you call Buddy Heald a ceiling? Would you call it a, a, a pretty good medium? Or do you think it, it's it's a baseline and you would kind of expect Hardy to, to come in and eventually, you know, that that's kind of like the base of what he could be? Yeah, that's tough. Um, it's not a ceiling of production for him. I think his ceiling is a lot higher than that. Particularly I would agree. He's better at creating his own off the bounce. I see the, the roles being a little bit different. Like, Heald has been such an off-ball, off-screen movement guy for his career, and Hardy's good at that. But I think he's also really good at slowing down, isolating, pick-and-roll stuff, um, you know, getting in the lane and making kicks for others in ways that Buddy Heald has frustratingly not done. <laughs> but it seems like it's been a 12-year career for him. It's probably only been half that. But 
uh, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in Hardy. I just I see a lot of positives in his game. Love the upside, and uh, in the words of the great philosopher Mel Kiper, be hard pressed to tell me otherwise. <laughs> Speaking of somebody who is really known for their offense and has been known for his offense throughout his college career, we're going to shift gears a, a little bit. We're not talking about a, a freshman or a very young prospect. Ron Harper Jr. has been around Rutgers for quite a while. Yeah, I, I love the fist pump. I love that that I saw the tweet from you earlier in the year, and you're like, I've always viewed Ron Harper as kind of like a top 40, top 45 kind of guy. And I'm like, Coach, th- th- this is why we connect so well on social media, man. I love that. Um, 32 games played this year. 32 games started, obviously. 34 minutes per game. 15.8 points per game. 5.9 rebounds. Almost two assists. 44.2% from the field. 39.8% from three-point range, 79.5 from the free-throw line. I love the fact that he sits at the shooting splits that he does based on the volume and that he also has a 57 true shooting percentage. For a guy who, yes, he has a physical build that is unlike a lot of other people in college basketball, but he's also a wing who lives around the perimeter. And if you're primarily taking a healthy amount of jump shots, those are actually excellent percentages, to be on, especially when you consider the field goal percentage, 44 45%. That's where you want to see these guys. Um, 88th percentile in total offense, 93rd on spot-ups, 82nd in transition. He, he does so many different things on the floor from the perimeter. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Coach, I know you're going to tell me why you like his offensive game and why you wanted to talk about him as one of your guys, quote-unquote, But I want you to also touch on the defense because this guy moves his feet on the perimeter a lot better than you would expect him to. I think he could actually be not not like a great defender, but I think he could actually be more than serviceable, which is probably the pitch that you would probably give on Harper would be that he could be like a serviceable defender in the NBA. I think actually he can be a bit better than that. And given some of the value he can provide as a jump shooter and offensive player, like now we're starting to talk about somebody who could legitimately be slept on in this draft class. Yeah, no doubt. So I think of prospects in one of two categories, right? You're either a building block for a franchise, a guy that's always going to be on the floor in crunch time minutes, or you are a role player. You're somebody who comes in and expertly fills in the gaps around the pillars of somebody's franchise. We are going to, for the rest of this podcast, I'm sure going to talk about guys that are more on the filler, right? Like those, those star guys, they tend to pop out at you pretty easily. Hardy was a, a divisive one simply because of the efficiency of his numbers. Harper is to me a fantastic puzzle piece to have on your roster because he can, like you said, do so many things and do them well while being able to space the floor effectively uh, and be a catch and shoot threat from three. And mm-hmm. I think that's the the baseline of where we're looking for guys, right? Can you be a role player that comes in, shoots the ball well? Is there one other thing you hang your hat on? And are you good at multiple things? And he, check, 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 all the way down. He's a gamer. He takes yeah. big shots and he makes big shots. He wants the ball in those clutch moments. So you're going to want to trust him to be on the floor in late game situations. He is best described as, you go to the grocery store sometimes, and you see those blocks of beef that they sell. (laughs) Ron Harper Jr. is just a block of ground beef. He is a hoss. He is a load. But he can guard multiple positions. Like, he should be able to guard two through four at the NBA level. 
Uh, a lot of a lot of people might think more three through four. I think he moves, like you said, he moves his feet well enough, and he is so damn long. He has super long arms. Offensively, yes. yeah, the shot is there. He's a strong finisher in traffic. He can mismatch post some guys. He's an adequate passer. Has shown decent play out of the pick and roll. Nothing great in there, but good enough in every single area that he's mm-hmm. just going to figure out how to contribute on the offensive end and that versatility to be a small ball perimeter-based four or a really big bully guy that you'd have at the three is super tantalizing to me. If I'm looking to fill out a roster with a guy that I think can come in and impact winning right away, make the right plays, and just help in a lot of different areas, Ron Harper's my guy, and that's why I I view him as an early second-round pick. I mean, miss perfect definition of a mismatch, right? Like he can he can get by guys who are bigger than him, and anybody smaller than him is going to be able to post them up. And oh, by the way, if the defense comes over, brings a second guy to help double, he can pass out of those situations too. He actually rated out really well in, in post ups, including passes, not just this year but multiple years in his career. Um, before before Stephen asks a, a few questions, I I will say when when you talk about the block of beef, I have watched Harper Jr. on film. For multiple years, I not only got to see him in person multiple times this year at Rutgers, but I, I actually got to sit behind him on the bench. I was a little terrified. I'm not gonna. I, I was a little scared for my that that dude. That dude could take me out back. I couldn't even touch him. Um, he he is he is quite the load. Very very impressive prospect and, and physical build as a player. Go ahead, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, and just one thing real quick before I ask my questions. I was sitting here just listening to the way that you guys were describing him, his build, and and his style of play. I'm just sitting here thinking about, like, he just sounds like a a, a bigger Eric Gordon at the next level when you talk about someone who can do a lot of different things combined with his build. But, Coach, one thing I wanted to ask you is that we, we talk sometimes, it's not that prevalent of a conversation because it's not always applicable to each draft class, but bloodlines coming into the NBA and we see players sometimes you know teams will take a, a swing on a guy like even a guy like you know Kenyon Martin Jr. last year is a guy that just comes to the top of my head who you know probably on a production level I, I hate to say didn't deserve it but he probably wasn't as popular as a choice as someone else who has like a fuller resume that of a uh, Ron Harper Jr. I know it's not everything but if you're an NBA team and you're evaluating who you want to add how do you how do you think that you would weigh the bloodline that he brings to an NBA organization? It's a it's a great question. Um, I tend to to be of the mindset that nobody actually understands all that goes into being an NBA player. We we see that on social media all the time with the criticism, the this or the that. Like these guys don't just start devoting their entire lives to this once they make the NBA. They've been doing it since they were in sixth, seventh, eighth mm-hmm. grade. For those guys who have been doing it that long, they think the NBA is going to be much of the same, and it is not. It is complete, complete takeover of your life. If there's one advantage that somebody whose father played in the NBA or has those ties to it, right, it's, it's that they understand a little bit better the sacrifice that goes into making your career work. And for the guys who are the top talents in the league, the lottery picks, the clear 20-point-per-game scores in the NBA, it's a, it's a little bit different of a reality for them than it is the guys who get drafted in the second round or undrafted free agents. You've got a scrap and claw in summer league. Like, heart matters there. And I, 
I think Harper plays hard. I think he plays with toughness and, and heart in a lot of those ways. But that little bit of understanding of support from home, of seeing what his dad went through, and, and just knowing that, that helps him more than anything. An and underrated aspect, by the way, before Stephen asks his second question, that can even go back to, to Hardy as well. And, and I love that he acknowledged the fact on Chris Haynes' podcast that he was just on when Chris Haynes was asking him about the difference between going from high school to playing in a league like the G League. And Jane specifically said, you're going up against grown men who are trying to put food on the table for their families. And it's I, I've said that multiple times and why some people should – uh, go a little lighter on prospects going through that and, and choosing that path because it, it, it's true when you're going up against somebody who's trying to provide for their family and they have to take it as a job, not just, you know, trying to, to better their image of themselves or play out to recruiters or whatever the case may be. Like it, it, it's different. So I'm I'm actually glad to hear that and, and an answer that I, I would expect from, from a guy like Coach. So that was great insight. Well, yeah, and it's a lot of those guys' last chance too, and they and some you know they play like it's their last chance. So, coach, last question I have regarding you know Ron Harper Jr. here is that although a lot of us here at No Ceilings uh, don't necessarily weigh age as much as other people do, we know that NBA front offices are going to look at him and his age relative to some of the other players that are available to him. We talked about the offense, we've talked about the defense and the bloodline. Do you think that he's probably going to unnecessarily be knocked for his age coming into this class? I do. Uh, and it's a trend that we've seen, particularly in the earlier parts of the second round. Uh, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people about it. CJ Marchesani, good friend and great scout. Uh, yep. Does great work. Yeah, I had him on a podcast, the uh, Boxing One pod, uh, maybe a week or two ago. And he basically said everything after 45 is such a crapshoot age skill like it's just about fit sometimes you're doing an agent a favor it doesn't really matter but in a year like this there is going to be a lot of uncertainty about picks 25 through 40 oh yeah uh and look that's due to the inconsistent play of a lot of guys it's going to be how many one and done candidates keep their name in the draft as opposed to withdrawing late i don't really know how it's going to play out does Harper have a, a chance to jump into that top 40? Yeah, I think he does. I think he's the type of guy that's going to show really well in a workout setting. But if there are enough younger guys that just hang around and say, this is my year, I know I could go back and get better, but I probably need to leave right now. Older guys get pushed down the board. It's just what happens. And I think this year is going to be a prime example of that. Fair enough. I would, I would certainly agree, but nevertheless, Ron Harper Jr. is certainly a name to, to keep tabs on, especially as you just said, Coach. I mean, so many names are probably going to filter themselves out of the draft, and I have so many guys on my board just waiting to creep back into the, into the top 60 conversation or even higher just because of some circumstances that could play out. Speaking of guys who likely have stock in the second round would, would be – the last two point guards that we're going to talk about. We're going to start with Mike Miles out of TCU, probably. Well, well actually, I, I lied. They're, they're both relevant. Um, Mike Miles and TCU just lost in, in the round of 32. The other prospect that we're going to talk about will actually be playing in the Sweet 16. will be awesome to get another look at him. But Mike Miles has had two really standout seasons at TCU up to this point. If anybody hasn't paid enough attention to that program to see – 
miles enough, I would implore you to go watch some of this film uh, before you really start getting ready for the rest of the draft process here. But to kind of give you an idea of Mike Miles' sophomore year, 31 games played, 31 games started, 33.4 minutes per game, 15.4 points per game, three and a half rebounds, 3.8 assists. Here, Co- Coach is ready for this one. He's ready to hear some of these shooting percentages. And oh, exactly boy. what we're going to talk about. He's ready. 38% <laughs> from the field, 29.5 from three, 75.9 from the free throw line, 15.1 PER, and not the prettiest 48.2 true shooting percentage. And we could go through some of the synergy percentiles, but a lot of them outside of his isolation scoring ability, which I know Coach is going to touch on. Um they're, they're going to tell the same story. And he's another guy who it's really about how do you weigh the numbers versus the eye test. Because when you flip on a TCU game, even if you're just going back and watching the two games that they just played in the tournament, right? First game against Seton Hall, he had a great offensive output. Second game against Arizona, he was 5-20 of from the field, right? You can, you can try to tell two different tales depending on the numbers, but really it all comes back to the same thing. And I know Coach appreciates this as well, and I know that he – abides by a similar philosophy it's not only about makes and misses similar to what we talked about with hardy right it's about can you create the advantages how do you look when you're trying to create those advantages what does it look like on the film and do you think that this player is comfortable enough to ultimately do it at the next level and a lot of what mike miles does on a game-to-game basis i can tell from the eye test it's going to translate the fact that he can get to literally any spot that he wants to on the floor he bends defenses at times to his will, despite him being a small guard because of his speed, because of his burst. It's, it's a reason why I should probably continue to keep moving Kennedy Chandler a little bit back up my board as well. Cause you could tell a very similar story with, with his game. Um, but, but Mike miles is always a threat to the defense because of everything that he brings to the table on, on offense. And it, it's, it's, it's a very tough battle to weigh how much do you think his game is ultimately going to translate? Because do you think he's going to be able to be a starting point guard in the league? Do you think that he is better having the ball in his hands and volume? Do you think he's going to be much better next to like a bigger initiator? But that's even a rare circumstance because how many of those guys actually are there in the NBA? It's I've had so much of a tough time going back and forth with somebody like Miles. And I know Richard Stamen, Mavs draft, who we had on, was also a big Mike Miles guy. He made his case, but... I want to hear your case before him, coach, because like I said, you're you're one of the you're one of the most trusted minds in the space. I want your opinion. Well, uh, the flattering compliment aside, Mike Miles <laughs> has has been my guy for about a year now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's this is going to be the ultimate eye test analysis for me, because the stats don't necessarily back up how he plays, and I have kept telling myself that the reason for that because he's asked to do so much at TCU and mm-hmm. with a guy like Miles kind of like what Trent Dilfer was as a quarterback in the okay NFL, that <laughs> ultimate game manager like he's asked to do everything for his team yeah he can do it it's not going to be efficient but he can win you some games by doing that more than anything he's best when he's just surrounded by talent and his job is to get the ball and deliver it to where it needs to be delivered. And the best test for that that we saw was how he played as the point guard for the U19 team over the summer. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed with him there. Again, numbers, not insane in, in a lot of ways, but he hits shots off the bounce. 
He can spot up from deep range. He can come off screens. Those are the three things you look for as a shooter. He's competent in all areas, despite the numbers not being great. He it plays with fantastic pace when he attacks the basket. He has some room in the mid-range to hit those floaters. He's great at drawing contact, and he's he's got that like really knick-knacky little, hey, I'm going to lean into you and just get a cheap free throw mm -hmm. when I need to get to the free throw line. He makes fantastic passes, and what I loved at TCU, you know, he's the only real creator, uh, face-up creator off the bounce that they had on their roster. So a lot of teams are going to go out and trap him beyond the perimeter because TCU put him in a ton of ball screens. He was accurate, he was on time, and he was never panicked against traps, against aggressive pick-and-roll defense. If he's able to shoot the ball the way that I believe that he can, hedging defenders are going to have to come out and guard him on the perimeter. And that's where that instant impact, that quick decision-making, the processing speed that he has to understand the defensive coverage, get rid of the basketball, and just involve guys and be someone that moves it around the perimeter, that skill pops more in the NBA when there's other talent around you than it does in college when your team's relying on you to be the guy. And I keep saying the reason his numbers are inefficient or not quite where you would think they should be for a top 40 draft prospect is because he's not surrounded by those, those types of guys at TCU. We've seen mm -hmm. good individual performances from guys. He has enough shooting around him to make some kickouts, but no other playmakers, and it is a very pick-and-roll-centric attack around him. He needs to have that burden alleviated a little bit. I, I think, Nathan, you're spot on. Put him with a wing creator. Have him be someone who spots up, maybe runs the second unit a little bit more, but is also not just pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll every time. He pops in that setting, and, and I'm. this is the one I'm going down with the ship on if, uh, if it does end up sinking. I am... I am not a shot doctor, and maybe I'm putting you a little bit on the spot with this question yeah, before I know it. Steven has a few questions, but what what do you think is the biggest thing behind Mike Miles being so much better of an off-the-dribble shooter versus a catch-and-shoot? Because when he tries to you know, shoot from the corners, off the catch, I don't know if it's that he's not shot ready. I, I don't hate his shot preparation, but it always seems like it's, it's either going a little bit over the top or it's to the right or it, it just always seems like his shot off the catch is more off. What, if, have you noticed anything specific? Do you, do you have any reason for it? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't yet. Now, I have not gone back and s sat down and watched every single rep on Synergy and looked for those you know, trends and patterns that I typically do when I'm, I'm finally ready to go through a scouting report. But I've also seen him make a lot of really pretty ones from yes. deep range with hands yes. in his face. And on those makes, his form is consistent. Mm -hmm. What I look at when evaluating shooting form isn't just is he consistent on every single attempt that he, he has. Is, is he consistent on his makes? Because if he's at least that, you can work on that natural base of saying, we need to get rid of all the other stuff, but you already know how to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And that is so much easier than having to rebuild somebody's shot top to bottom, right? Like I I'm thinking about a guy like Bryce McGowan's who similarly is below 30% from three. Oh, no, don't, don't, don't trash my boy. Don't do I it. I didn't pay him don't to say it, it, Nathan. I didn't pay him to say it. Don't do it. I like him, but the shot <laughs> is all over the place. And, and as I'm sitting here tonight, I'm finishing up the scouting report on him. 
his step back is very inconsistent. His footwork is not the same every single time. He doesn't get enough lift on his shot. Sometimes it's in front of his face. Sometimes it's low. Sometimes it's a little bit off to the left side. He is horrible going to his left off the dribble. That is a trend with Bryce McGowan's, right? When you watch all of the reps, you try to see, is it something consistent to fix? Is there something consistent across all of his makes and then his misses are different? Or is it just crazy mixed in there? Miles is consistent on his makes. And that is a much better starting point for me than somebody who's really, he's got a lot of different form issues that you got to try to filter through. Excellent answer. Uh, we, we hear that size is discussed a lot whenever we see how players like a, an aforementioned Kennedy Chandler, and obviously we're talking about Mike Miles, he has a lot of great skills at the college level, and we know that he can penetrate. We know that he can pass, especially when there's pressure you know, in front of him. We, we trust him in pick and roll, even though that his numbers aren't the best. We know that he can. He projects that he should be able to play well off of another playmaker and, and, and be a fine uh, shooter. With the size, though, translating to the next level, are there any areas of his game that you think are going to kind of fall to the wayside a little bit, like some of the things that he's able to get away with now that he's going to have to say, you know what, I need to kind of abandon ship on this and maybe kind of polish up another set of skills? I think this is a, a stock answer for anybody who's a six foot, six foot one lead guard, but it's leaning away from physical layup attempts and going more towards floaters and runners and living in that six to eight foot range. Um, another thing that's just big on, on guys around his size is the defensive end, right? You think that in the, in the postseason, those are guys that get mismatch hunted. They struggle in switching schemes or in teams that force switches on them because they're going to have to fight in the post. Miles is built like a fullback yes. in the sense that he's really strong, where I yeah. have less of a worry about him than other guys his size. He's also really, really quick. And he uses that quickness not just to beat guys to spots, but to get there and kind of puff his chest out a little bit. And because he has that strong chest, bigger drivers that are going to try to face up, go at him, he can stonewall a little bit. I don't worry as much about him defensively as other smaller guards just because he has the great combination of strength and quickness. Um, I think offensively he's got to be more consistent from three, and he's got to really shy away from trying to draw contact on every single drive because he, he's he can get a little bit uh, trigger-happy on diving into people's chests and trying to get to the free-throw line. Tim and Chandler, too, though. I mean, I, I love how those two in particular, like, fight through screens on defense, too. Like, that yep. that's the biggest thing for guards is do you recognize that it's coming? Are you not blindsided? Kind of like Jay Nivey can be on uh, on possession-to-possession basis. Through. Yeah, you don't like to see those guys screens. die on screens at all. No, no. <laughs> you don't want to see the Bryce McGowan's pick-and-roll defense. Oh, did I say that? Oh, <laughs> oh another one. Uh, another one. I, All right, speaking I'm a of little another scared one. now to watch your, your scouting report on YouTube now, Adam. I'm, I'm a little scared now. Uh-oh. I'll watch it, Coach, and I'll fill him in on it later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, speaking of another one, I got one more question um, on Mike Miles here. Just real quick, I'm going to put you on the spot. When you watch him play, do you look at him and say, I could see him playing really, we- really well on X team, like at the next level? Is there a scheme or a system that you think is kind of tailor-made to his ability? I'm sure there is. Um, You know, I think he would be a damn good backup point guard in Phoenix. Mm. 
I think that learning some tricks of the trade from a guy like Chris Paul goes a long way for an undersized guard, but the the rim rolling prowess of a guy like Aiton, the commitment to floor spacing and shooters that they have around him, and having somebody like Booker who can take the ball and be that late mm-hmm. clock isolation scorer and take that load off of Miles' shoulders, I think would be a great pairing. Uh, whether the Suns could or would want to pull that off, who knows? But that's uh, I've, I've I've really liked how all of these guards have come in and played in Chris Paul's absence in Phoenix. Something about their scheme and what they're doing makes pick and roll point guards pop. Sure, and Nathan, we just heard we heard a destination that wasn't Golden State or Denver <laughs> as a place where a prospect can go. So I mean, co- coach has shown his weight worth in gold right now. Uh, the good, good NBA teams using a second round pick on a surefire backup point guard probably for years to come. More teams should do it, but that that's a podcast topic for a different day. So I, I, mm-hmm. I could rant on that one for, for hours. But the last guy we're going to talk about, and Coach, I've told you multiple times, I told you on Twitter when we were talking about the show going back and forth, I told you before we started recording this podcast, I need the Caleb Love sales pitch. And it's funny that I need it because before his freshman year, he was one of the guards who I actually got to watch the most high school tape on for as far as the guards are concerned. And I really liked a lot of what he could possibly bring to the table. And some of those strengths that he showcased on the high school tape, he's shown in North Carolina, not as much during his, his, his bumpy freshman year, but in his sophomore year, he's had some really standout shooting performances. Um, against really good teams like Duke, for example. Um, But he's just so inconsistent. And I can't quite put my finger on why he's so inconsistent because he will go do the exact same things in one game and he'll he'll drop like 25-plus points and he'll look incredible doing so, pulling up from parking lot range, spotting up out of the corners, cutting to the basket, and then defensively he'll hold his own. But then, like, two games later, he'll just, like, absolutely disappear. And it will have to be the R.J. Davis show, similar to exactly how it was um, in, in, against Baylor in, in the round of 32. And it's not just because that's a recent tournament game that we all watched. These last two years have been exactly that story for, for Caleb Love. And maybe you'll be able to shed some light on why you think those inconsistencies exist. Um, I, I won't necessarily waste my time going through a lot of the shooting splits, although he does still shoot 37.3% from three-point range and 87% from the line. Very good indicators that that will translate to the NBA. I'm not worried about the shot and whether he can make a lot of those same shots. I just, if a team's drafting him to live up to the promise that he once had as a freshman coming into North Carolina, you would have to figure some of the consistency issues would would, would have to iron themselves out. So why have you remained on the Caleb Love train? Why do you continue to spread positivity about him? What do you see and what do you like about him that could translate to the next level? I'm going to speak to the inconsistency because I think that's the the biggest part of this. Uh, I know you guys say no ceilings, but I'll give you a floor and a ceiling. So, uh, <laughs> okay. A little bit right now. So his floor ends up being the frustrating Carson Edwards for the Boston Celtics type of guy. Mm-hmm. You draft the shooter. And you bring off the bench where he doesn't have the same comfort level. He hasn't warmed up. He doesn't get his reps right out of the gate. And he just never gets hot. Because Carson Edwards, for as good as he was in college at shooting the ball, 
he definitely needed to play his way into that momentum and that those mm-hmm. heat situations. He did not have the luxury in the NBA, and that's why he's you know shipped off from the Boston Celtics before his rookie contract expires. Caleb Love needs that rhythm. You can tell in the first two or three minutes of a game whether he's going to be on or he's going to be off. Uh, but one of the reasons I'm not as worried and why I see his ceiling being maybe even closer to, and this is this might be a stretch a little bit, a Seth Curry. Boom. Oh, my God. Boom. Oh, my God. Boom. I That's have a... that. I was going to ask you a, a question about do you think that he his play style in the NBA is going to be similar to that of a Seth Curry. That's something that I don't think is out of the question either. Yeah, that, that's that's a ceiling. But here's why I am okay coming down somewhere in between and seeing that as worthy of a second-round pick. Yes, he's inconsistent, and he's had some really bad games. Carolina is 26-9 and nine right now. In the nine losses, that's when those bad games really come out. He's shot 25% from three, right? Like, he's... He's not very efficient from the field, mm-hmm. and that one signature still skill doesn't stand out. But Carolina's won almost 70, 75% of their games. And in those wins, he's 41.5% from three. So if you're talking about a guy who 75% of the time is going to end up being a 40% three-point shooter, oh yeah, I'm taking a risk on that guy. You know, that's that's definitely draftable territory. And because he's good in spot-up situations, he's really good off the bounce, I think he's got a little bit of upside to be a movement shooter, something he's not used at a ton at UNC. Why not? Yeah, he's got struggles taking care of the basketball. He's not a very good finisher. He should be a better defender than he is. But, man, am I tantalized by the shooting. And I'm willing to gamble on seeing if he turns into this guy at least 75% of the time in the NBA. Do you, do, you, do you think the touch is there for him to get better on the rudder? Because when we talk about like a Seth Curry type of ceiling, like Seth Curry has that in his bag all day long, right? Like he's not exclusively the shooter, but you look at, I mean, you, you, I'm glad you mentioned the finishing 16th around the basket in the half court, 18th on runners. It's, it's not there. And that's the, big, that's the biggest thing to me that I think he's missing. I don't even necessarily need him to get all the way to the basket, but I think if he can just get to the middle of the court and knock down a runner, I think that would much better serve his game. Yeah, he, he's not a three-level scorer. He's a one-level scorer right now. Yep. But that one level is probably the hardest one to gain. Uh, and, and that's where I tend to be a little bit more optimistic on a guy like Love. You know, I have cooled on him a little bit. Beginning of the season, he started in the late 20s for me. You know, okay, this is the reclamation project. He had a horrible freshman season, but... It looked like it was going to go that way, though. It really really did. Since he pops up, and you take a look at the larger sample size, and he's still not a good enough finisher. He doesn't have that elite touch in that mid-range or or extended layup area. He needs it. He absolutely does. So I think that he's closer to a first-round talent than he gets credit for. But of all four guys that we've talked about, he has the clearest red flags for me. Mm-hmm. And is the one guy that I can easily see myself talking myself out of on draft night and just saying, I don't know, that other guy, like if, if it's him or Justin Lewis from Marquette, that guy's a little bit more consistent, a little bit more of a known commodity, can do more things on the basketball court. 
yeah, maybe tiebreaker goes to the more versatile six seven forward than the six four shooter who can't score inside the paint. Do you still have Caleb Love as like a top forty five guy? Do you have yeah, him he, like? He, okay, I think he's like thirty four, thirty five on the board. Okay, mm. yeah, I'll, I'll I'll verify that right now. So I, I mean, if you still have him in that range, I wouldn't say you cooled off on him that much then, because I mean, as as you said, like. You 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 were being generous. You said twenty five to forty. I'm going like fifteen to sixty in this draft. Yeah, he's being a crapshoot. So he's gone from like the 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 pizza roll thing. Like he's not burning the roof of his mouth whenever he's eating it, but it's it's at a, a an appropriate edible temperature. He's uh so he's listed at forty right now on the board, but that's also with I think nine guys ahead of it who I have projected to return to school. So that puts him firmly in that like thirty to thirty-five range. Stephen, any other questions on on Caleb Love to wrap it up? Well, he read my mind with the question I was going to ask him about Seth Curry. So I'm going to ask him a little bit of a philosophy question here, and I know Coach is good for it because he's a pro. When you're talking about drafting a guy in the second round, even late first, but you know we're we're talking about kind of a consensus second round draft pick now. When you're drafting a guy like Caleb Love in the second round. You know that you're not drafting him and saying, all right, here, here's the offense. You know, you're going to have to play off of somebody. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the ancillary skills that you think Caleb Love has in his game, because I think one thing that goes unnoticed and under-discussed about him is the fact that he is a capable ball mover, right? So if if you can be trusted to make shots, even to some tough contested shots to a degree, and move the ball around a little bit, do you think that that's kind of the sales pitch of landing him in the second is that he's going to be a guy who knows how to either sh- he knows when to make the shot or the pass yeah, coming I, onto your team? I love it. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because as a high school coach, we run a, a drill in our practice every single day. We call it one more where we have somebody drive baseline. We've got two lines on the opposite side, one in the corner, one in the wing. And we work on throwing extra passes and really getting into the, the situation of catch it and immediately know that I've got to swing it to the next guy. Love is very good at that. And there's, I think we don't value that enough from guys who are really good shooters because they are sacrificing what is a good shot for them in order to get a great shot for a teammate who might not be as high percentage or high threat of a shooter as them. I tend to believe that you reward making the right basketball play. And do I have some issues with Caleb Love's shot selection off the bounce? You betcha. Yeah. I, I definitely do. <laughs> uh, but he he does move the ball pretty well. I think that he is going to fit in well to a balanced offensive system. He's going to fit in well to being more of a spot-up guy. Uh, look, I, I'm a Celtics fan. I'm not advocating that I would like to see Caleb Love on the Celtics, but there's no denying a St. Louis connection between he and Jason Tatum. And I think to myself, when you have two wings like Tatum and Brown that are more of the facilitators, you can get away with playing a guy like Caleb Love, who's a shot maker, a one more guy, come off of a double drag ball screen when one of those guys needs to sit and just pull from deep, and he gives you 16 to 18 minutes a night and that's his career and you know what that's valuable if he's shooting 38 percent from three 
Yeah, and I think that that's one thing that goes under discussed with just shooters in general, right? Because that's how you keep yourself open is if the defense doesn't just think that you're just going to chuck it every time that you touch the ball. Keeping yourself a threat by being able to move the ball, completely under-discussed skill, and I think that that's applicable here with Love as well. No doubt. I like that I like that Boston Celtics fit. I think I think that could actually be a, a, a legitimate thing for Mr. Love. Um, Another non- Denver or Golden State fit with a prospect here. Incredible. Well, he's, and he, he's a big guard, and I think the Celtics look for that in their switch-everything scheme. Yep. And they have so many really good point-of-attack defenders, I think they can afford in the second round to go after somebody who's not that. Like they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll be okay prioritizing a little bit more floor space. They still need shooting because Aaron Neesmith, Carson Edwards, the last few guys that they've drafted to be shooters have not panned out. And not everybody's a point of attack defender in the NBA, but can you at least be confident enough to get better and improve your communication with everybody else and become a team defender? And I think what they have white for <laughs> that, that, that is very true. That's what they have white for. And I think Caleb Love could, could benefit in, in a lot of the same ways. I really like that fit. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I wanted to, wanted to be able to get you out of here, coach, on, on a high note. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and lending yourself to the type of discussion that I wanted to have. There's only so many ways we can talk about Chet Holmgren and Paolo Vincaro, but it's excellent when we can kind of skip off the beaten path a little bit and talk about some other guys down the draft board. So I really appreciate having you on. As always, please, for my audience, plug every single thing that you're doing because I know it's a lot. But de- 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 definitely let my audience know where they can find not just you, but also all of your work. All right. Well, appreciate that. Always good to come on, guys. Uh, you know, talk hoops here. I know uh, this is a busy time of year for all of us. So thank you for carving <laughs> out the time this evening to accommodate. Um, best place to find me is on Twitter, which is at the box and one underscore. You can find me on Substack, boxandone.substack.com, or YouTube. Just search my name, Adam Spinella on there uh, we're putting out a ton of scouting reports we're trying to do five a week we'll see how that turns out because i still got a full-time teaching job and coaching <laughs> and all, recruiting and all those things in the afternoons um but if not doing a lot of those you know putting out some thought pieces uh we also have a series in the works that should be coming out right as the ncaa tournament wraps up about 15 prospects that are on the fence of whether they should stay in the draft or go. That's 80% written at this point. And then the big treatise, as I've been calling it, on kind of the, the draft manifesto and the thoughts of Adam Spinella. So, uh, again, be on the lookout for some of those. But more than anything, you two and, and your entire team, please don't drown me out in draft coverage. You guys do so much and so much great work that it's, uh, again, you, you set the bar and just keep forcing me to try to keep up. I, I, I appreciate that, that endorsement, Coach, and I know that, that Steven does. I will be on the lookout for that think piece. I'll be curious to see if your 15 guys line up with the guys that I chose for, for a similar piece. I titled it, Should I Stay or Should I Go Over on No Ceiling? So definitely make sure you're keeping up with everything Coach is writing. And thank you, as always, for tuning into the Draft Deeper pod. Plug all your stuff, man. Yeah, so um, if you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter, at Stephen G. Hoops. Um, obviously, I'm a part of the No Ceilings Collective at NoCeilingsNBA.com. I'm going to continue to co-host Draft Deeper here with uh, my buddy Nathan and Coach. I just wanted to say uh, I've enjoyed following you in my kind of rookie season exclusively covering the draft. I, I did it alongside the NBA for a couple seasons beforehand, but, you know, it's it's been cool to 
to kind of follow you and get to know you a little bit more this year. And uh, the threads that you drop when you're not just dropping hot content is uh, is incredible <laughs> with the uh, the the prospects that are entering into transfer portal and, you know, some teams that might want to consider them. I just love the insight that you bring to this space, man. It was an honor to get to work with you a little bit today. I appreciate that. Thank you. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you are subscribed to the Draft Deeper podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And as Coach Spinella recommended, yeah, go subscribe to No Ceilings. It's it's free 99, baby. NoCeilingsNBA.com. We will keep plugging away as the draft cycle goes on, and we have plenty more podcasts, written content, everything you need, all mapped out for the future. So definitely stay tuned. But until then, thank you all. Have a wonderful rest of your week. <laughs>